This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, September 26, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Ford halts work at a multi-billion dollar EV battery plant in Michigan and the UAW responds. A day after ratifying an agreement with Ford of Canada, Unifor names its next bargaining target. And we'll tell you what's next for former General Motors Vice Chairman Bob Lutz. Plus, the Move America Mobility Conference is kicking off today in Austin, Texas. We'll hear from writer and Harvard visiting fellow David Zipper about why he'll be promoting micromobility at Move this week. I actually wonder if mini cars are poised to be a real disruptor because the cost of a car is so high and also the cars are getting so big, like it's not fun parallel parking in an urban area. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Ford has stopped construction of its $3.5 billion electric vehicle battery plant in Marshall, Michigan, a decision the UAW slammed on Monday. A Ford spokesperson told Automotive News the automaker is limiting spending on construction until the company is confident about its ability to competitively operate the plant. Ford said it hasn't made any final decision about the planned investment there and remains committed to being an EV leader. Blue Oval Battery Park, Michigan, was originally going to open up in 2026. It was slated to employ 2,500 workers and have the capacity to build 35 gigawatt hours of lithium iron phosphate cells a year, enough to power about 400,000 EVs. It was not immediately clear what, if any, impact the pause would have on Ford's ability to source batteries for future EVs. The UAW blasted the move, saying, quote, this is a shameful, barely-veiled threat by Ford to cut jobs. The union statement went on to say, closing 65 plants over the last 20 years wasn't enough for the big three. Now they want to threaten us with closing plants that aren't even open yet. The news comes amid tense contract negotiations between the UAW and Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. Today marks day 12 of the union strike against the Detroit Three. Later today, President Joe Biden plans to join striking UAW members on the picket line in Michigan. Then tomorrow, former President Donald Trump, the Republican frontrunner for the 2024 presidential race, hosts an event in Michigan with auto workers and other union members. Unifor has picked General Motors Canada as its next bargaining target. The move came a day after union leadership announced a narrow ratification of a three-year collective agreement with Ford of Canada. Unifor, the union representing Canadian auto workers, secured double-digit wage gains, a path back to defined benefit pension plans, and one-time bonuses for full-time workers. Unifor President Lana Payne said the union got a strong pattern agreement from Ford, and now its job is to negotiate that pattern in the form of renewable collective agreements with GM and Stellantis. 
Unifor will be at the table with GM starting today. California's governor has vetoed a bill that would have prohibited self-driving trucks from traveling on the state's public roads. It was a blow to labor interests. The bill would have mandated autonomous trucks carrying a human backup driver behind the wheel. Autonomous vehicle executives said the stipulation would negate the purpose of deploying self-driving technology. Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, said the bill was unnecessary for the regulation and oversight of self-driving trucks. The International Brotherhood of Teamsters was a prominent backer of the bill. It views autonomous trucking as a threat to union jobs. The legislature could overturn the veto with two-thirds majority in each house. It's unclear whether there's an appetite for such reconsideration. And Australian carbon fiber wheel supplier Carbon Revolution has named former GM vice chairman Bob Lutz to its board. He will be joined by other veteran U.S. auto executives as the company preps for a merger with a special purpose acquisition company. Joining Lutz on the company's board will be Bert Jordan, who is the former vice president of global purchasing operations and supply chain sustainability for Ford, as well as Jacqueline Dido, who was previously an executive with several suppliers and co-founder of Aware Mobility, and Maddie Masanovich, the former CFO of Teneco Automotive. The appointments will be effective upon completion of the company's SPAC merger that's expected to take place next month. Carbon Revolution is set to merge with Twin Ridge Capital Acquisition, and then the company's shares will be traded on the NASDAQ. The wheel supplier expects Lutz's appointment will give its board a high-profile, outspoken, and well-connected face as the company looks to expand its business. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, our own Michael Martinez was on yesterday, and he got a little critique from Unifor on his analysis of their deal with Ford. What was that all about? Actually, Michael's back with us again today. Oh, hey, Mike, what's going on? Hey, guys, appreciate this. So yesterday I was on and I made the point that essentially the raises in the Unifor Ford agreement at the end of that contract, when you use the conversion rate for the U.S. to Canadian dollar, wouldn't be really that far ahead of where union workers in the U.S. are today. Now, it was pointed out to me by someone at Unifor, actually pretty helpful advice here that that's maybe not a fair comparison, that you can't really use that exchange rate to compare the purchasing power of the wages on both sides of the border in that you know somebody in Canada who's making Canadian wages doesn't necessarily spend any or all of those wages in the US, so that conversion rate can't really apply. So that was maybe an unfair way to characterize it. You know, it's a fine point, and certainly geographies differ. If you're a Canadian auto worker and you're living in Toronto, you probably face different life costs than if you lived in Windsor. The same with UAW members, if they're in Detroit compared to, you know, Kokomo or, you know, St. Louis area or Kansas, they're going to face different costs. But economically, the value is the value, and it's what you can exchange those dollars for, whether they're Canadian dollars or American dollars. But always good to hear their feedback. Exactly. That's interesting stuff, guys. Coming up, trucks and SUVs dominate the U.S. auto market, but at least one transportation advocate thinks we could soon see that trend go in reverse. We'll hear from author and Harvard Visiting Fellow David Zipper next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moral peril. 
but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process steel jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit rayray.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The Move America Conference kicks off today in Austin, Texas. It has become one of the most important transportation gatherings in the U.S. in recent years. It specifically looks to tackle issues of movement in urban settings. One of the presenters at this week's event is David Zipper. He's an author and visiting fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School. Zipper spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation. The Move Mobility Conference you know, I think arguably has become the most interesting transportation-related conference other than CES, at least from my lens. Wow. Uh, but, but you're giving a presentation, uh, and I'm wondering if you can give us a sneak preview on on what you'll be talking about and and what are mini cars. Uh, sure, happy to. Um, you're you're quite the hype man for Move America. I've never been before, so I only hope that it is uh, you know lives up to the expectations that you've set. I, I'm just being candid, and I think you know I have no ties to move to move, but it was really good last year, and I I'm encouraged that this year is going to be even bigger and better based on the uh, the move to a bigger venue in Austin and also the speaker lineup right now, nice. including yourself, of course. Oh, it goes without saying, really. Um, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I am going to to move for the first time, and I will be 
giving a um, presentation about uh, mini cars, like golf carts and low-speed vehicles, all these quirky small things that have been popping up in Europe and to some degree in the U.S. as well, and whether they could be a sort of viable alternative to cars. Um, I'm also then going to do a Q&A with Paul Vetrano, who is uh, senior executive at Wave, the company behind the GEM low-speed vehicle that I bet some of your listeners will know about. Um, but yeah, I've written a lot about mini cars in the last uh, year. Um, I even visited a suburb uh, of Atlanta called Peachtree City that has nearly as many golf carts registered as cars. I understand how that happened and what that means for society. And by the way, everyone loves it there. Like it's this like sort of like idyllic place in a lot of ways and the golf carts play a big part in it. Um, but no, I, you want to sneak pre preview what I'm going to be talking about. I find golf carts and mini cars to be very interesting right now for several reasons. One of, from a, from a market or business perspective, I think about Clay Christensen and his famous theory of disruption from um, his book, The The Innovator's Dilemma, which is a bit of a classic in Silicon Valley, about, what, 25 years old now, and how he, he talked about how disruption sort of begins from the bottom and incumbents don't see it coming. And what happens is you end up with these uh, large companies that keep building more expensive, more uh, high-performance versions of a product, whether it's a, a hard drive or a, a computer or whatever it might be. And then eventually an incumbent comes in and sort of eats their lunch by starting off with something that's a lot cheaper and is lower performance, but good enough for a good number of, of customers to use. And I actually wonder if mini cars are poised to be a real disruptor in the Christiansen sense, because, I mean, you know this, Pete, like how much is a new car in the U.S. now? About $50,000? Right? I would say it's north of 50000 at this point. And, it, and then you've got the interest higher. rates on top of it, um, which have risen. Like the cost of a car is so high. And also the cars are getting so big with these SUVs and trucks. Like it's not fun parallel parking in an urban area or squeezing into a spot. And there's a lot of, of uh, sort of trips that, that you might take to go a, a mile or two in an urban area to a school or to a grocery store or the gym where an e-bike or an e-cargo bike or a mini car might be even more convenient as well as far cheaper. So I'm interested in what might happen there. Do you see the mini car then as, as something that's a um, possibility primarily in an urban area or do you see it beyond beyond just the cityscape? I think that urban areas are especially uh, well suited because in dense urban areas, you have a lot of streets that are, you know, 25 miles an hour or less. And that's often where mini cars are going to be going uh, about the same speed. A golf cart, frankly, will go 20 miles an hour. That's going to be very, it can mix with, with SUVs, trucks, and normal cars on a street like that. Uh, the cars and the, the trips are relatively shorter, which also works well for mini cars. Um, I think that in rural areas, it's tougher to see the value. However, um, I just went to the beach in North Carolina with uh, my family, and I was surprised how many uh, golf carts I saw there. Even though there's not really dedicated golf cart infrastructure or anything like that, um, they're just useful in a sort of environment like that. 
So I am bullish on mini cars and I'm looking forward to talking about them at Move. I'm curious, you wrote in one of your recent Bloomberg stories, if I can quote this line that stood out, uh, these miniature mobility devices could help untether the United States from its destructive and entrenched addiction to automobiles. Uh, is Do you see the mini car then as something consumers are demanding or or is it just that it's the cure-all to some of these uh these big picture ills that that are illustrated in that line well to quote a famous meme why not both <laughs> <laughs> and that it, like have you have you ridden a golf cart have you driven one uh it's been a while but i think i have yes was it fun on a golf course, it was like I, I'm trying to I've not done it on a public road. So that's uh, but but generally, yes, I think it's it's good for getting around certain areas, be that a golf course or, you know, I guess I think of retirement communities, not that I'm quite that yeah. old yet, but but I, yeah. I see the niche applications, but I wonder how that can grow beyond those. Yeah, the retirement communities are a good one. I should have mentioned that, too. But that's a utilitarian play. Like if you can't drive a car uh, legally because, you know, your your health may be, may preclude you, golf carts could still be available, which is very valuable. But actually, the reason I was asking, did you enjoy it? Golf carts are fun. Mini cars are fun. So, yeah, I do think that there is a real possibility of consumers gravitating toward these vehicles, assuming that they're safe places to use them. Um, simply because they are, there are real advantages of them against a car um, for pleasure, as well as for the utility of being able to park easily. Um, and but then I, I think there is sort. Of, those are sort of like the, the the carrots, if you will. The stick is that cars are extremely expensive for reasons we were just talking about. But that's even without taking into account all of the negative externalities front of cars um and you know this may be uh, uncomfortable for some listeners um for the podcast but we subsidize cars in so many ways in this country by you know not taxing the or regulating the congestion that every marginal car causes on our streets by not uh taking into account the uh the safety costs that cars create by endangering everybody else on the road especially the biggest ones like the monstrosities, like the Hummers, uh, and you, the, and then there's the climate issue too. So if you start factoring in those expenses, then or those costs, I should say, then cars become even more expensive, and mini cars become even more valuable because they're electric, they're smaller, they're less dangerous uh, to other other road users. So um, I guess what I would say is I think that a lot of people might gravitate toward mini cars because they're fun and useful. But from a societal perspective, I think that that shift, should it occur, should be welcomed. David Zipper is an author and visiting fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School. He spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear the full conversation on Shift wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer and Alicia Anderson. Today's episode includes reporting from our own Michael Martinez, Pete Bigelow, and John Irwin. It also includes reporting from David Kennedy at our sibling publication, Automotive News Canada. You can get the latest news on Biden and Trump's visits to Michigan, the UAW strike, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. 
If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.